channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on July 23rd, 2022, and is current through Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from lots of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is a writer for a number of online outlets about Star Trek and the author of the recently released Phases on Stun, How the Making and Remaking of Star Trek Changed the World. It's Ryan Britt. Ryan, welcome to Weekly Trek. Thank you for having me, Alex. All right, Ryan. Well, I ask my guests this question every week. I want to know something that's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? I got um, a couple old paperbacks of two original series novels. Yep. <laughs> One is called Dreadnought and, the, and it's oh, yes. Battle Stations. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. And, Diane um, Carey, if I recall correctly, right? You were right. Diane Carey loved her like naval nautical yeah. Star Trek. Yep. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you nailed that one. But yeah, yep. I, the, I found a couple at a, a local record store, bookstore that sells new and used books. And they had my book, they had Phasers on Stun, but then they had a used paperback section. And they had all those, you know, those great spines of the pocketbooks. Yep. Oh, sure, yeah. So I always look for ones that I didn't have as a kid. And I always saw those covers and thought they were great, and I never read them. So I got them both, and I was really pumped. So that's got me excited, because they're really, um, I just love those pocketbook novels. Like, yeah. you know, I can just, I, from the from the 80s and 90s, I can just grab those anytime. I, I love the new novels, too. But yeah, so that's got me excited. <laughs> yeah, there is something about that, like, as you say, from the 80s and the 90s, back when they were pumping out for a while there, two Star Trek books a month, 24 books a year, you know, these little pocket books and most of them were just sort of episodic stories like set during the run of the TV shows. Some of them, you know, they 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 had the odd hardcover they would release and that would be sort of a bigger story. I think Dreadnought actually might have originally been a hardcover when it came out, but I think you're right cuz cuz yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, they were just these like fun little stories and yeah, I mean I've I've got them all. They're they're, they're on the bookcase shelves that you can't see on the screen. And yeah, I love them. I mean, I've probably only read about 40% of them, but at least I right. know I've got new Star Trek fiction based <laughs> forever. I almost included a section in a chapter in my book, uh, which is a history of kind of the all the radical changes of Star Trek. And thanks for mentioning it. It just came out in May. But um, I almost had a whole section in there about publishing, because if you think about it, the Star Wars novels that got big, the Timothy Zahn books, right? Those are not until like 89, 90, yep. 91. But at that time, Star Trek had been publishing fiction for a decade. Yeah, right. And sure, there, there were a few Star Wars novels. There was this, the Han Solo books and stuff yep. like that. But if you just look at market share, right, like shelf space in the magazine rack or the where the romance novels were, you had, like you said, sometimes two a month. And so I was trying to figure out, and I actually emailed with David Mack, who's a Star Trek novelist about this. I was like, do you think that it was actually like possibly the, the majority of science fiction that people saw in book form from, yeah. you know, yeah. 1980? 80 to 1995 because after 95 the so star wars books really yep. start 
they really start edging out the Trek books. But I don't know. I was just kind of like, I couldn't really like come up with the numbers to like prove my thesis. <laughs> but yeah, I, but to your point, you have all the books, you've read 40% of them, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and it's so, I mean, you know, you, you think back, Simon and Schuster, who've been the licensee for 40 some years at this point, you know, they, they took over in 79 with the release right. of the motion picture novelization. But by that point, Bantam Books had been publishing Star Trek novels for at least five or six years seven or eight years, including the photo novels, the novelizations of the original series and of the animated series, you know, the Star Trek logs books. And then they they started to do some original fiction. And like, I think we do underestimate a little bit, you know, when we talk about that sort of period between 69 and 79, between the end of the original series and, and the premiere of Star Trek The Motion Picture, the influence of published Star Trek works in conjunction with the animated series and things and the reruns that like help helped keep the franchise going with the energy necessary to then like get itself a movie by 79. Yeah, no, I it's in the book actually Howard Weinstein who was a writer for the animated series The Pirates Over Ryan or Orion as they pronounced yes, it in the sure. episode. Um, <laughs> I watched that episode with my 5-year-old the other day and she was like, "What's going on? Why are they saying <laughs> Orion?" <laughs> but um it is in my book that he says the idea that the 70s were a dormant period for Star Trek is a myth. Yeah, right. And he kind of and he talked about that. He referenced exactly what you said, but yeah, I just when I interviewed Henry Alonzo Myers, the one of the showrunners for Strange New Worlds recently, I brought to my Zoom with him my James Blish Star Trek adaptation of Balance of Terror and like talked to him about the lines sure. from the adaptation. Yeah. But yeah, the, and those adaptations, that was published in 1967. Yeah, the first, right. It was just Star mm-hmm. Trek. It was, it was and, and like he adapted those episodes in weird orders. So yeah, all that stuff's great. But I could talk about that forever, but I love getting old Star Trek books. That That's nothing makes me happier. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's awesome. No, that's great. All right, let me tell you what I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week, which is sort of a, a precursor into us leading into talking much more about San Diego Comic-Con and the announcements that we got today in the end of the Star Trek Universe panel, which is just that like I have been really impressed with the attention that Paramount has kind of paid for the Star Trek at, at San Diego Comic-Con this year. You know, the notably, I think for me, the big one being they basically bought the advertising space on the skyscraper right outside of the convention center, which just has this giant Star Trek banner you know, sort of advertising all the current shows. Up, you have the 10 Forward Experience, which is this bar experience, which was a ticketed experience that sold out very quickly. But then you also had sort of like a back bar type thing that you could, you know, sort of like a beer garden style where you could also go and buy some of the exclusive merchandise. They have a booth on the show floor, which is showing off some of the merchandise from licensees. And I've just been very impressed with... The kind of, I think lots of people weren't really sure what to expect for San Diego Comic-Con this year, right? First time back in person since 2019, 2020, 2021, most of the studios, rather than kind of jump onto the sort of virtual San Diego Comic-Con bandwagon, though Star Trek kind of remained loyal and had, you know, panels in each of them, sort of went off and did their own thing. And Star Trek went off and did its own thing as well, right? With First Contact Day, Star Trek Day. And so I think there was this question of like, how much are the studios going to return to SDCC? as a place to go and Paramount seems to decide that yep they were going to be back there and they were going to be back there in a big way and you know the last time they were there in 2019 there was 
one Star Trek show, right? There was Star Trek Discovery, right? I think it, it, yeah. it, it's sort of tough for us to remember that like that was only three years ago at this point and like it was just Discovery, but now it's Discovery, it's Lower Decks, it's Strange New Worlds, it's Picard, it's Prodigy. And so it's really nice to see the corporation invest that level in continuing to publicize the franchise and support the franchise and hopefully kind of signals big things continuing to come in terms of support for the longevity of new Star Trek content. So yeah, that that kind of I mean, I, of course we knew there was going to be a panel, but then seeing all the other stuff as well has been has been has been great. It's been really great. Yeah, I think that like as somebody who's covered conventions for a long time as a journalist, I always get a little bit frustrated by the sort of perception from if you're not like a Trek person, right? And you if you don't write about it professionally or you don't podcast about it or or you're not like a diehard fan, but you like work in like geek media adjacently, there sometimes is this thing where Star Trek is still like behind the eight ball in people's minds. Yeah. You know, and I'm always like, and I, I say this all the time, I say it in my book. It's like San Diego Comic Con in the 70s the early 70s when the first Star Trek convention started in New York City was nothing right it was nothing yeah. you know what I mean it was like it was like I can't remember the exact number is I have it in one of my chapters but it's like triple the number of people went to the first Star Trek convention in 1972 than went to San Diego Comic-Con that year. And that was a, a convention organized by people who wanted a media product that was not being sold to them. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, yep. you, know, you know, that's how Star Trek conventions began, right? Like they were dwarfing the science fiction conventions you had. So I think there's something that about, I think that there's still this strange thing, and I, I see it in, ma in mainstream media coverage of San Diego or New York Comic-Con, that it's like when Star, Star Trek's in Hall H and it's always like in the biggest places in New York and San Diego, and for some reason I I still find there to be this a little bit like, well, it's Star Trek. And it's like, yeah, none of this exists without Star Trek, yeah, you know, right. like none of this yeah. happens, you know, and, and like Lu Lucas, you know, George Lucas said that about Star Wars, that like, you know, the fan culture of Star Trek sort of presented to him the idea that this was viable. And then of course they leveraged that by marketing Star Wars at San Diego Comic-Con in 76. But yeah, I don't know. Like, it's like, it's about time. Right. Like yeah, what, sure. Well, I'll, I'll agree with you there. I, I think that, like, I agree with you 100%. It's also just like the biggest conventions in the 90s. We were talking about the 90s a little bit ago. Yeah. Those were all Star Trek conventions. Sure. And yeah. then, like, right. actors from Xena would also be there. <laughs> you know, like, oh, they, they were all like Star Trek conventions, basically. Yeah. Right. And then, like, Adrian Paul from Highlander is here as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah, I, I remember yeah. growing up in Phoenix. That was like, that would, that's what it felt like. But so I don't know. To me, it's like everything is kind of a Star Trek convention. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah, then, yeah. and I'm just like, all these other people are just interlopers. So that's that's kind of my, but yeah, I agree. It's really nice to see. All right. Well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on and I'm a reporter. Well, San Diego Comic-Cons Enter the Star Trek Universe panel served up news for Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Lower Decks, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. We will talk about them tonight in panel order, which means first up is Star Trek Picard Season 3. We got a new teaser for the third and final season of Star Trek Picard, which gave us a first look at the returning Next Generation characters and some hints about what they've all been doing since Star Trek Nemesis. You're only as good as those around you. These days on the Enterprise made me a better man, a better father, a better friend. I thought I could inspire people to bring justice to an unjust universe. You have no idea how hard it is to be in this world. Do not presume to know what I have and have not sacrificed for this to be willing to go through that door to what's next. There's a whole universe out there. Wherever you go, we go. 
here in this moment. Let's do what we spent our lives learning to be great at. As long as you and your crew remain steadfast, you are never without hope. Commodore Geordie LaForge has a family. Captain Seven of Nine, now in Starfleet uniform. Worf, who sports a captain's rank, but Terry Metalis confirmed on Twitter, is not a captain. Beverly Crusher, whose rank was not visible in her character spot, but who is still wearing Starfleet blue. Troy, back in Starfleet blue. Captain Will Riker. Perhaps most excitingly from these character reveals to me personally was Worf. Fans have speculated what Worf would look like if he ever returned to Star Trek, particularly after the redesign of the Klingon scene in Star Trek Discovery. And despite Despite many assurances from Alex Kurtzman and Terry Metalis, there was still a little doubt about whether the Klingon's appearance would match his 11 years on Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Well, this is an audio medium, so if you haven't seen Worf's look yet, you don't know whether they did or not. So I can tell you definitively, as Terry Metalis promised himself, Worf looks like Worf. The returning TNG stars, including Commodore LaForge, are all wearing these funky leather Starfleet jackets I'm intrigued to learn more about. But not shown today was Brent Spiner, who is playing what Star Trek franchise showrunner Alex Kirsten described as a quote, old new character whatever that means. And what else did we learn from the panel? Well, we did not learn the identity of the season three villain today, but we did learn the villain is female. We also learned that Gates McFadden considers Beverly Crusher's story arc this season to be the best the character has received. And we also learned, thanks to what was potentially a small slip from Sir Patrick Stewart, that there might be more than one Enterprise included in this season of Picard. Whatever the current Enterprise is, presumably in this time frame, and maybe revisiting a previous one. Ryan, what was your reaction to seeing our first look at the next generation characters in Star Trek Picard season three. I felt the same way as you. I was really like excited about Worf. I was like suddenly, and I think what I was most excited about was that those voiceover lines where he's just like, don't presume to understand. And it's like, uh-oh, Worf is coming at us with some kind of like heat about people making assumptions about him. And I love that because then you're suddenly like, wait, Worf could be the most interesting character of this show. And I hadn't expected to feel that way. But yeah, I thought for all the other ones with their, their little sort of vignette voiceovers, it was kind of what I expected. And from that, the Jordy, the hint from Jordy about him being a family man was interesting. But with Worf, I didn't really expect that. I expected it to, to perhaps be a little bit more like, I'm happy to, is honorable to be with you again. John, you know, captain or yeah, something. You know. right. uh -huh. But instead it was like, there was like this hint of a conflict. And I thought that was really exciting because yeah, Worf's great. And like, as you said, he was on Star Trek for a long time, not just yeah. next gen, you know? So it, yeah, I, I thought that was just phenomenal. Yeah. And Terry Metalis tweeted just before we started recording, if you if you look at the picture of Worf, he's got like a clearly some kind of Klingon weapon on his back. And Terry tweeted that it is a it is called a Kurleth and it was designed by the creator of the Batleth, Dan Curry. So a new Klingon weapon that we'll be seeing for the first time in Picard season three. And Terry says, yes, you will see him use it, which is also quite exciting. Yeah, I think Terry's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He certainly knows how to like yeah. drop just enough hints here and there. Yeah. I mean, and like, that's the other super interesting thing about Worf is you look at that character spot and that picture, he has four pips on his collar, but Terry says he's not a captain. And when people were then like, but he's got four pips in his collar, he was like, just trust me, you'll you'll see when the, when the series airs. I mean, I think it is sort of super interesting some of the decisions they've clearly made for each of the characters, right? Like Geordi is a Commodore, which means he now outranks Riker. And presumably, I mean, we, well, we, we know that he will outrank 
Troy, because I think they said in season one of Picard that she was still a commander rank, but like maybe Crusher too, right? We we don't, you know, we sort of don't know what Crusher's role is. Um, and yeah, the point about Geordie being a family man, right? Like that came out in the teaser. And I think, I think he said in an interview pretty recently that uh, his daughter, Micah, is playing his yeah. daughter in the show, yeah. which is also really right. exciting. Yeah. Um, she's had some affiliation with the franchise. She was one of the interviewers for Star Trek Day last year and has done a couple of those like first contacty day type events those virtual days yeah she's yeah, great yeah, yeah. at that stuff yeah yeah she's really great at that stuff and then, so I'm, I'm glad they kind of found a, a space for her to appear in the show as well but yeah I mean you know of course this is just a tease right the teaser confirms that the show will not be airing in 2022 it says coming in 2023 I, I think it's <laughs> I think it's early in 2023 but that it won't be this year so we do still have quite a while to wait but this was all very intriguing and it was just it's really nice just to see these characters back again right and have a sense and be able to start thinking about knowing and like they all look amazing i mean you know for the amount of time that's passed since nemesis they all look really really good yeah they look really cool and i think that yeah i mean being somebody who was born in 81 you know, like I've I've talked to Frakes and LeVar Burton a few times in interviews and they're always like, oh, well, you were the next generation. And I was like, right. Like I grew up with it. Yep. Like I wrote, you know, so yeah, it's it's always it's very exciting. I think that there is a strange part of me because on the panel, Kurtzman was asked, um, you know, will there ever be an, another next generation movie and he's like well we consider season three of picard to be a next generation movie <laughs> maybe kind of wonder why you just don't change the title like there might <laughs> yeah. be like legal uh-huh. things involved yeah. like you know they changed star trek enterprise from enterprise to star trek enterprise right. but maybe they can't because it's a production but a part of me is just why don't you would it be so bad to just call it star trek the next generation yeah like <laughs> i don't know like would that be such a huge problem and i guess they're like well we got the contracts yeah on paramount plus it'd be confusing you know like it's got to be season three of star trek picard but in my mind, it's just like, this is TNG season, season eight. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, and I will also say, we sort of knew from the end of season two of Star Trek Picard that they were sort of setting up a Starfleet career for Seven of Nine and that she was going to be a captain. And But seeing that shot today of her wearing the captain's uniform, the season two captain's uniform yeah. in red. I mean, just, there's so much here for us to unpack and dive into around each of the different characters and what what we kind of the just the tiny little bits we learned about them today but i also just wanted to acknowledge what a cool moment that was for the arc of the character from voyager all the way through today especially given everything they've sort of set up happened you know since voyager returned to the alpha quadrant that I, i'm really excited to see where they where they ultimately go with that well i think that everybody feels the same way right like it's been too long since seven of nine has been denied a Starfleet uniform. Like yeah. She had one in the what relativity, right? She yep, gets one right. in the Voyager episode. And then that's kind of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I, I think that everybody wants the same thing. We all want a show set in the 21st century to continue on after Picard, preferably starring Michelle. Yeah and Cherry Ryan. You know what I mean? Like, I think we, everybody wants that. So yeah, I just hope that that can happen and that this is, the season three of Picard becomes a backdoor pilot to that. Yeah. Um, you know, like San Diego Comic-Con, you were noting was like in 2019, yep. you know, Discovery was the only Star Trek show that was on, but that was also the first big Picard panel. Yes. Right. And that's Huge. when everybody was like, oh, seven of nine is in yeah, Picard. Right. So that was not yeah. any, that was on an anybody's dance card, you know, in 2019. I remember being like, okay. And I remember even thinking like, does that even work? Is that smart? And 
then now, of course, you can't imagine Card any other way, you know, particularly season two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, Seven of Nine is not actually in it as much in season one. But yeah, so season two, it's kind of like, I think some of the best stuff in Picard season two is Jerry's stuff. I completely agree. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very excited to see that. And I, she's just a great actress and, and a great character. And, you know, it's just going to be so great to see what they do with that. Well, the Star Trek Lower Decks panel gave us a full trailer for the third season of the Star Trek animated comedy. It's on. Starfleet, get your Starfleet. Prepare yourself for Warp 10 excitement. Discover the undiscovered country. The USS Cerritos remains impounded while their captain stands trial. Have you lost your mind? Captain Carol Freeman stands against... I can't believe this. I wonder how Mariner's taking it. Oh, I'm taking it. Taking it to the limit. Did you time your entrance to say that? What? No. Oh, yeah, she did. Starfleet isn't all about being fed fruit by erotic aliens with slightly different nose ridges. I could get real used to this kind of treatment. Sometimes you gotta get your hands dirty. It's on. This is an unauthorized launch. So begin the craziest adventure of your life. Yeah! These broken rocks are reading our nightmares, but I don't like my nightmares. Behold! So magical! There's gonna be times when you need to make a mess of things before you can fix them. Like, how I'm gonna have to cut this guy's foot off so we can grow him a new one. Wait, what was that? Whatever happens, we're gonna be right beside you. We're in this together. Wait, just buy me some time. Uh, sir, how, how do we do that? Uh, I don't know. Just circle around and pretend we're in awe of the pylons. Um. Just keep circling. And it has everything you would hope to tease the upcoming season of Lower Decks. Star Trek shenanigans, callbacks, more hijinks, funny jokes, and quite excitingly, Deep Space Nine. Yes, the final joke of the trailer, which sees the Cerritos arrive at the famous space station, might just be now my favorite joke in Lower Decks so far. And in the panel that followed, series creator Mike McMahon assured fans that this was not just a flyby. The Cerritos crew will be going aboard DS9 and we'll see some familiar faces while they're there. Ryan, obviously we we kind of just got the trailer. We We sort of didn't learn a huge amount more in the panel. But just based off the trailer alone, right? Like, how are you feeling about season three of Lower Decks? I am among, you know, the I think uh, the majority, right, of the fans that loves Lower Decks and feels like Lower Decks is made for us, yep. right? Like, I am I am one of those people. So, yeah, I, I there's, like, some great jokes that are, like, blink if you miss it in that trailer. Like, when they're at Cis- the Cisco's restaurant, there's a hot sauce that says white, hot, like, Ketrasil white hot sauce. Yeah, Ketrasil white hot sauce. You know, <laughs> stuff like that where you're just like, oh my God. And then Mariner doing like the Chris Pine, J.J. Abrams like jump. Yep. And I thought that was interesting because like I've never, other they made some like lens flare jokes in uh-huh. season one, yep. right? But you've never actually seen imagery directly from 
the the Kelvin Universe films in the new shows. Not really. Yeah. And so that was I thought that was really interesting because I was like, that really is like very clearly what that is. Yeah. And so I thought that was cool. Yeah, it always feels like kind of coming home. And the Deep Space Nine thing, I mean, you know, <laughs> we know that Mariner served on Deep Space Nine. We do. Well, yep. Yep. I'm actually writing something for Den of Geek, like right after we get off the call of could this solve like the Mariner mystery of all the places that she yeah, served, right. you know, where she just casually mentions that she served on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah. And like, so I'm like, did she serve on the Defiant as well? You know, like, <laughs> you know, so like, I love the sort of Mariner conspiracy theory of which, how many ships did she serve on when she was on the Keto? And the, there was that Deep Space Nine flashback in season one. Yeah, I love all that stuff. And and, you know, War, she she says that she was hung out with Warf on on Deep Space Nine. You know, so you could you could do all that. Uh, Mart is it? Did Martok's in the trailer? Martok's in the trailer. Yeah, that actually that was at Mission Chicago. They played that scene was the like exclusive in the room scene that that you didn't see anywhere else was the was the Martok scene, which is from a later episode in the season. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I also know that there's a good portion of I'll just say 90s fans. I call everything from 1987 to 2005 the 90s. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but um that are kind of like Deep Space Nine has been a little left out of the new shows, you know? Yep. And I think that, that that's, I, that's that's a valid criticism, but like, it feels like Lower Decks is being like, not anymore, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it it sort of sounds like we have a Deep Space Nine episode coming out. I mean, I just, I just love about that, that it is a, in the same way that they spoofed the fly by the Enterprise scene from Star Trek The Motion Picture in Crisis Point, a fabulous episode of Lower Decks, by the way, that they have now for this one done a spoof of the Deep Space Nine main titles, right? Like that's what that whole joke is, you know, that that it was like you've got the music playing and you're kind of spinning around the station and the wormhole pops and like well, <laughs> it's inc- well, it's so good. Something that Mike McMahon has done so many times and I've talked to him about this a couple times and a little bit of this I was able to get into my book, but every time I talk to Mike McMahon, I'm always obsessed with the metafiction, you know, and he always says, he's been saying this for a long time, time, not just to me, but he always says that people on Star Trek watch Star Trek, right? And that there's like this metafiction in, inside Star Trek. So there's some media version of Star Trek exists. You know, Boimler is always humming the theme songs. And that goes back to you and I were talking about old novels a little while ago. That goes back to the motion picture novelization. Yes. Where, where there's a forward from Kirk yes. and a forward from Roddenberry, but it's like Roddenberry as an author who lives in the 23rd century. Yes. And that there's some kind of media representation of the original series that exists. It's that the original series series that you saw on television is the original series, the fictionalized version, and it's not what actually happened. It's the TV version. And And that Kirk had approached Gene Roddenberry to yes. do a book. And so I love that because then that then if you accept that and then you accept the Enterprise finale, these are the yep. voyages, uh-huh. and then you accept um the I excretus, my favorite Lower yep. Decks episode, where they're doing all the different, you know, where they're doing all the different episodes, and like one of them is just called Whale Rescue, you yeah, know, and right. like yeah. they're, 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 the, the names are slightly wrong or whatever. If you accept that, then you can accept all this media that we never see that exists in Star Trek, and then that's why you can have the flyby joke, right? Right. And that's why you can then have Boimler having collectible plates and why he could be humming the Voyager theme to himself, you know? I just think that that is so brilliant. So in Star Trek Picard Season 2, Teresa's son is almost denied watching Rick and Morty. Yes. 
And so like, how does that right. work? Yes. Like Mike McMahon, you know, is a writer on Rick and Morty. And so I just love all, I love thinking about like the way that metafiction like doubles back through Star Trek. Yeah. So that Deep Space Nine joke does that for me, where it's like some version of this theme song exists and like this montage may be in right. a holographic program somewhere, you know? Well, especially because the like early criticism of the Deep Space Nine theme in its early years was that it was a boring flyby of a station that didn't go anywhere, right? Like, right. you know, and so now in the <laughs> same way that in Crisis Point, again, an excellent episode of Lower Decks, they kind of play off by making the approach to the Cerritos just go on just an uncomfortably, a slightly uncomfortably long amount of time to kind of, you know, sort of play off of the humor of the eight and a half minute flyby of the Enterprise, doing something right. like that here too. Like it's just, I'm just, nothing could have wet my appetite for Star Trek Lower Deck season three more adroitly than that because, because it's not just a joke based off of, look, here's something that you recognize from the animated series. And I mean, of course, there's one yeah. of those in the trailer or like, you know, when they're at Cisco's, Tendi and Rutherford are both wearing Zephram Cochran hats. And, right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Rutherford's <laughs> wearing one of Jake Cisco's like, you know, bus seat sweaters. <laughs> but it's like, no, this is a level of joke that sort of, in order for you to, you will appreciate the joke if you've not seen and not, if and you're not steeped in any of this. But if you have been around for a while and you know all of this kind of history of the fandom and the backstory and some of the petty kind of debates and things yeah. that have come and gone over the years, you will appreciate this at a level so much deeper than that. And it's just, it's just wonderful. Well, it's kind of like we were talking about Crisis Point, that season one episode where uh, Mariner is like, you were kind of a Zon, to be honest. Yeah, right. And he's, and he's like, right. what? And then you're like, but yes. wait a minute, that's a reference to David Gautreaux playing Zon yes. in Star Trek Phase 2. But then you're like, but wait, isn't Zon a real character then? And so then is there a backstory in which Zahn was almost going to be on the Enterprise in, right. in the real canon? Uh. <laughs> because I think that Zahn's name is on like a, a label in the Wrath of Khan or something like that. Or like, the, he, so he like exists kind of, you know, and obviously David Gautreaux played, you know, uh, Commander Branch in the motion picture, you know, but it's just like stuff like that where you're like, that is just that broke my brain. And it's also just so funny. Yeah, that stuff's great. But yeah, it's a great, a great joke. And also exciting that it's not just a joke. Yeah, that it, right. that, we're, exactly. that, it is, that it's that it actually is not just an Easter egg. That's I think what's so cool about Lower Decks, right? Is that even the Easter eggs are actually like smarter than they seem because they're kind of like critiques of the idea of putting the Easter egg in there in the first place. Right, you right, know, like right. like the like the Mugato episode, right? And they when they mispronouncing it, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, but then that's actually the correct pronunciation because they pronounce it so many different ways. Well, we will keep the Lower Decks fun going by now talking about Star Trek: Strange New Worlds and. And while the Stranger Worlds panel took a well-earned victory lap for season one, the big news that came out of the panel is also Star Trek Lower Decks news because Lower Decks stars Tony Newsom and Jack Quaid crashed the Stranger Worlds panel to announce that the second season of Stranger Worlds would feature a crossover episode with Lower Decks that will include both animation and live action. What does this mean for whether the Lower Decks stars will show up on the Enterprise in live action or Stranger Worlds stars will cross over into animation? Well, Paramount is currently keeping that under wraps but it's fun to speculate about all of the possibilities, including a Who Framed Roger Rabbit style version of this crossover. Personally, 
I'm at this point pulling for live action Mariner and Boimler played by their respective actors. Ryan, this has got to be, I mean, this will be one of the crazier episodes of Star Trek that has ever been produced. And I mean that in the best possible way. Like, how does this news land with you? Well, I love being surprised by Star Trek announcements. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but then when I went back to all the interviews I've done in the past year, I was like, I shouldn't have been surprised by this. And I'll tell you why. Is because Akiva Goldsman, who's one of the showrunners of Strange New Worlds, at like Strange New Worlds finale said to me, he was like, we are going to do something in season two that Star Trek has never been done before. It has never been done on Star Trek before in terms of genre um, and in terms of a mashup of styles. You've never seen this. So I was thinking musical episode, right? Yeah. Because uh, Henry Alonzo Myers used to work on The Magicians and The Magicians has a bunch of musical episodes. So, And I actually still think that my... We'll save that for theories, but sure. Anyway, but um, but then I interviewed Tani Newsom. I did a big profile of her this March, and she said Jack Quaid actually volunteered to be a one person who stays animated, and the rest of us run around like Roger Rabbit style. Or what about some opposites attract technology where Jerry O'Connell has to talk to a cartoon cat? Direct quote from Tani Newsom to me back in February of this year when I asked her about the potential for a live action lower decks actors on Picard or something like that. So, like, they've known about this clearly oh, sure. yeah. for a while, and they're like, so when everybody anybody asks about asked about it, it seems like they were kind of saying what it was. I mean, it's fully filmed at this point, right? Season two of Strange New Worlds wrapped a month ago at this stage. So like they filmed it three, four, five months ago. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. And so they must have known about it for a while. And they're very clever, you know, because, uh, you know, a good portion of the cast had shown up to Mission Chicago. Yeah. Cosplaying as themselves. But I hope it's all the above. I hope it's a ro- Who Framed Roger. Uh, I was calling it Space Jam. Yeah. Right. right. Like I hope yeah. it's like, yes. a, it's, that, yes. that feels kind of more yes. appropriate sure. like, than yes. Star Trek. Yes. But I was, I'm hoping it's the Space Jam thing, but then that it, that it might go both ways. Right. That then we get because then we could get lower decks, Sanson Mount, and you know Celia yep. Rose Gooding yep. or something, yep. you know. Or so is there time travel? Is is it the metafiction we were talking about? You know, will the lower deckers be you know calling up a hologram of you know? That, that's the other question of just from a continuity standpoint. If the animated aspect of it wasn't even an aspect, you'd still be like, but right, that twenty three seventy two we're in now, eighty one, I think. Right, of course, yeah, and then but then twenty two fifty nine. Yep. And so it's, it's over a hundred years, you know, and so um, I love it. I love that they're doing something that that's that over the top. And I mean, you just can't. Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsome, the entire cast of Lower Decks are very charming, but they are just so freaking charming. Yeah. And just so you want them to just have all, to give them all the things. Let them just do whatever they want, you know? So I'm excited. But yeah, I mean, like, does that kind of like change the thinking about like how people are obsessed with visual canon? Yeah. And how that's kind of perhaps intellectually sort of a losing battle? Yes. You know what I mean? Because like on some level, like you can make an argument that like the visual canon is like less important and like the the canon itself is like what happened, right? And like the, the you know, and like, yes, the Enterprise has to look a certain way, et cetera. You don't want to throw it all out the window, but right. that at a certain point you can squint and you just have to accept that the original series doesn't look like that. Yes. You know, in the in the Strange New Worlds era, because it just it doesn't make sense. To, just like comic books. Just like comic books, right? Like you couldn't just they're not just gonna film it like a fan film. They're they're gonna do it with their contemporary the way it looks, you know. So yeah, it, I think that that's exciting because if anything, it I feel like it lets Star Trek loosen up a little bit with that stuff. Yes. Like and hopefully that 
with more hardcore fans, it helps them loosen up as well. Right. You know, and like to say, okay, we know this all takes place in the same canon, but now we're actually doing it where we're merging visual styles in the same episode. And that's like, you know, that would be like, kind of like, I guess, Trials and Tribulations in a way. Totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess it's kind of like, I guess it's the thing that's closest to it in terms of them saying, we are going to merge the visual styles of these two shows. And it's not going to be, it's going to be incongruous. And that, incongruity is part of the fun you know and i think that that um is exciting um and yeah i just hope that it's the kind of thing they can continue to do more of yeah to really just blow kind of blow up the i don't want to say multiverse but in a way it feels something like that even though it's in theory the same the same canon yeah i mean i think there's a few different ways they could go with it right you could it could be a trials and tribulation style episode it could be a these are the voyages style episode as you referenced it could be something else entirely i think you know and like What's animated? What's live action? I'm open to anything, right? Is it Space Jam? Is it the Lower Decks piece is animated? And then when they transition into Strange New Worlds, you know, it's Tony Newsom and Jack Wade as Mariner and Boimler, which means they would have gone to Toronto and like filmed in costume and done all of that. Like, I'm open to anything. I And I think, I'm, I think it's going to be fun. I think I'm going to enjoy it. I would really love if they slipped in a Lower Deck style joke where they show up on the bridge of the Enterprise and they're like, oh, this doesn't look like I've seen it in the history books. Like, <laughs> like, like you know, sort of acknowledge <laughs> that, yeah, like that would be really fun and cool. I thought this was supposed to be orange. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be a lot smaller, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But what really excites me most about this news is that it's new and imaginative and adventurous, right? Like, that is a big swing to take, you know, you only get 10 episodes a season and you're going to take a massive swing on a crossover with an animated TV show, which will include both animation and live action, which is rare, right? Like Space Jam, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the recent Chippendale movie, right? Like you can count on maybe two hands the number of projects that have really kind of gone all in on trying to do some level of merging between animation and live action. And this is exciting. And I I talked about this on a previous episode, so I don't want to belabor it too much because this sort of idea has kind of been floating out in the ether for a few months now. But like, there are 900 episodes of Star Trek. If you want to take one episode and do just a completely off-the-wall crossover between live-action and animation, more power to you, right? What's that? 0.01% of the franchise overall. Like, if that episode doesn't work for you, you never have to watch it again. There's no, you know, like, go watch the other 899 episodes of Star Trek that have been produced and you'll be none, you'll be no worse off for it. But like, it's fun and it's interesting for them to try something new and hopefully it will work but maybe it won't and if it doesn't like okay it does it didn't work but we'll really respect them having tried it and experimented with it and maybe there are other experimental things they might do down the line that will actually work so yeah i think this is terrific i'm really excited that they have had the courage to explore doing something as interesting as this within the context of the star trek franchise as it is today but also knowing that with 900 episodes out there already there's not a lot of ideas that haven't been tried and this is an idea that hasn't been tried and so i'm really pleased they're going for it i also think that because it and as soon as I saw that that was the news, that that was the crossover, because we kind of knew there was a crossover because Kirsten yeah. had mentioned it on the Ready Room. He had told Will Wheaton the crossover was coming. I think that as soon as I saw it, it immediately made sense because when I watched Strange New Worlds and was writing my review 
before it came out, I immediately realized it was similar to Lower Decks insofar as the episodes were self-contained and that that meant, and I don't want to say that Strange New Worlds has failed in any of its episodes, but it has the ability to fail a specific viewer, right? Because it's yep. just one episode and they can keep going. Whereas there's more pressure on Discovery and Picard, right? Because those seasons are, yeah. are essentially like one idea. Right. And so then if you're not really on board with that idea, then the season's going to be a little rough going. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason. And that that can that can go, you can feel differently about that. And all of us do. Um, and I like all the new shows and I, you know, I love Discovery and I love Picard. But I think that with Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds, you're back to something that's closer to Next Gen or Voyager where or the original series where it's like they can throw it over their shoulder and be like, OK, we did that. That doesn't define us that, you know, the um, the uh, Elysium Kingdom episode doesn't define Strange New Worlds. Right. Uh, the more serious episodes like Memento Mori don't define Strange yeah. New Worlds. Because you because Spock and Mark was the next week. Right. And took right. A completely right. Completely different. Exactly. Approach. And, and, yeah. And Lower Decks is actually like, though it's a comedy, it actually is like that too. You know what I mean? Like they're, like the episode we were just talking about, like Crisis Point, which is like really meta. Yeah. Right. Is like extremely meta and like inside the canon and thinking about what the what is the nature of narrative? How does narrative shape us? But then the next episode, No Small Parts, which is the season finale of Lower Decks season one, isn't that at all. It, it, Classic action-packed season right, finale. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but also an episode about inverting your expectations and underestimating people and like just completely. So I think that that's just great that both Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds have that because no other science fiction franchise has that quite in the same way other than Star Trek, where you can have continuing characters that you know, you love, you see them, but they can do a lot of different kinds of stories. Yeah, I don't know. It just reminds me of like when you read like old Sherlock Holmes stories and there's one story that'll be like the blue carbuncle, which is like kind of funny. You know what I mean? And then you'll read like another story, Man with a Twisted Lip, and it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit more grimmer. Totally. And I think Star Trek just has that and Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds have that in spades. And so I, I, I'm very, I'm very excited to see it. Well, and lastly this week, televised Star Trek didn't hoard all the announcements at San Diego Comic-Con this year as comics publisher IDW revealed news about a new ongoing Star Trek comic that sounds pretty bonkers, but in the best way. Launching in October of this year and written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with art by Raymond Rosanas, the new ongoing just titled Star Trek will feature the return of Captain Benjamin Cisco and see him teaming up with other luminaries from the Star Trek universe. The official synopsis says that Star Trek number one weaves an epic and unprecedented adventure story that spans the far reaches of the Star Trek multiverse, bringing together characters from across the galaxy and all areas and variations of the beloved franchise who must band together to prevent the mysterious murder of the gods. It's Stardate 2378 and Benjamin Sisko has finally returned from the Bajoran wormhole omnipotent, but his godhood is failing with every minute. Sent by the prophets on a mission to the deepest parts of space aboard the USS Theseus, he witnesses the unthinkable. Someone is killing the gods, and only Sisko and his motley crew of Starfleet members from every era of Trek can stop them. In addition to Sisko, Data has also been confirmed to appear in the series, and issue one will be preceded by a prequel story in the upcoming Star Trek issue 400 that celebrates the 400 Star Trek comics since IDW took over the license in the late 2000s. Ryan, are you much of a Star Trek comics reader, and what do you think about this new Star Trek ongoing series? I'm a huge Star Trek comics reader. I love the Star Trek comics. Um, I love IDW. I like all of the, you know, the Kirsten Beyer and Mike Johnson, sort of any of those sort of like preludes they've done to yep. whether it was Countdown to Discovery or the Picard Countdowns. I remember being really like shaking some of my friends because they hadn't read the Picard Countdown that established who Laris and, and Saban were. And I thought that and like 
I still kind of think that that's essential and also like introduces Rafi and, you know, yeah, sure. um, I, lo- I love the Star Trek comics and I love how I love IDW. I've loved everything they've done since they started. And I love, I remember loving those, you know, even when they were doing the continuity that was set in the Kelvin universe, yeah. that was sort of like redoing original series episodes. Oh yeah. The, the DS9 favorite. crossover in that one was so great. What's that? What, that one with Q? Yeah. With Q. Yeah, and where, they, yeah, where they, Pine Kurt goes yeah, to Q Pine and Q, Kurt and goes Q to space it, line. Yeah. Q becomes a paw wraith at some point. Yes. In that? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. Like gold Ducat in it yeah it's, the, yeah it's great yeah the wharfs in it yeah that's yeah. a great great art yeah all, all everything but yeah i think it's great i love that it's just called star trek yeah and that's i think that's great to have cisco front and center in that but again I, I we were talking of kind of about sort of mashing up different styles and I, I just like the idea that star trek's loosening up even more with something like this and it's just saying look we're bringing back cisco uh, somebody's killing the gods. We're just going to have you deal with that. And we're just going to, you know, I think it, it it sounds different. It also sounds accessible if you don't care about Star Trek, which also seems really cool to me to just be like, here's a super team up of some great Star Trek characters, Crusher with Cisco, And like, we'll just kind of go from there. I mean, there doesn't seem like there's quite enough Cisco in Star Trek comics. So maybe that's another thing that feels wonderful about this. Yeah. I, I, so I said this was bonkers in the best way. And I think it is bonkers in the best way. Cause like it's an ongoing comic called Star Trek and it stars Cisco and Data and yes, Beverly Crushers, as you said, and like presumably other characters. And they talk about it being from every era of Star Trek. So like, presumably that means some TOS and Enterprise and Far Future and like whatever's going to show up. And like my initial reaction to that was like, whoa, that's weird. And then I was like, but cool. And then I was like, and awesome because of that conversation we were just having about televised Star Trek. You know, they sort of have a lock right now on maxing out the traditional Star Trek formula, right? We got five TV shows on, trying all kinds of different Star Trek things. And as a result, you know, Star Trek publishing, which has the ability to kind of push limits and push boundaries and do different things. And yeah, you know, you can have data back as an, on an ongoing basis in a way that you're not going to get Brent Spiner to agree to put the makeup back on for a while. And, you know, we sort of don't know the status of Avery Brooks and his interest in returning to Star Trek, and it might be nothing. And so like, this might be the only way you get new Cisco stories. So like, why not, right? Just like go nuts, go bold, go big, you know, sort of max out the inherent advantages of the fact that you're doing a comic to do something that you will never see on screen. Because to my mind, it's like, if you have a new Star Trek episode every single week of the year, right? Like comics and books, as we were talking about up front, right? Like they help fill the gaps, right? They filled the gaps between between the end of the original series and, and the motion picture. And for me, were completely instrumental to my fandom in bridging the gap between These Are The Voyages and The Vulcan Hello. But like, when we're in this world where you've got a new episode of Star Trek Every single week of the year, we just had 48 straight weeks of Star Trek. So that's not, you know, that is not an absurd statement to make. Like, I think Star Trek publishing needs to sort of assert its value statement of like, here's why in addition to a new Star Trek episode every week, you want to be looking at, you know, you want to also take additional time to pursue the books and the comics. And, you know, I, I will dedicate my whole life and all of my spare time to Star Trek. So I'm always going to be a guy who does that. But like for your more casual fans, what's going to hook them in? What's going to bring them in? Do something really interesting and creative and boundary pushing that's going to make people say, oh yeah, I am going to spend time reading this comic in addition to the episode of the week because I'm going to get 
get two very different experiences from it. So really excited by this move from IDW to do something that is a little bit sort of out of left field. And, you know, I'm really, I, I hope it's really successful. Yeah, me too. I also like that it's like not exactly like a crossover or like a mirror universe. They do a lot of the mirror universe stuff with kind of, you know, mixed results. And um, I think that I like that it's not like a, a limited crossover that they're saying it's an ongoing, you know, because they did they did the big the Q gambit right where they kind of had all the crews sort of yep. teaming up. They've done a lot of that, like a big lot of big crew team ups. You know, I don't know if you read like Doctor Who comics, but yes. it feels like like every time there's a Doctor Who comic, it's always like a multi Doctor thing, and that's great. And you know, like that's why you have comics, right? And I, I love that. And you know, but I think that what's great about this with Trek is that this feels like a like a super team up. Yeah, but it also feels like they're being a little bit more casual about it because it's Starfleet, right? Like Star. Fleet could just assemble people like it's these people are contemporaries of each other. Like this could just happen. It doesn't have to be that weird. And you don't have to like explain it the way you do anytime like Kirk meets Picard or Janeway. You know, you can just say Cisco got these people to come on this ship and that's it. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that's that, that's the cool thing about it to me because it's like, wow, Starfleet's big and you could have all of that happen. So uh yeah, I I, I can't wait. It's a it's a good sign too, it because it feels like that they're confident and, and that like to do something that's that both bold but also a little bit more subtle. And I think that that's a that's kind of when you're in a sweet spot with Trek yeah. where it's kind of like, okay, that's cool. I did also, like we were saying with the other announcements, I couldn't have called that. Didn't expect No, that. right. Yeah, totally. You know, it, it, feels like a, it feels like a stunt, but it feels like a smart one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, if you told me they were going to do a new ongoing Star Trek comic, I would have told you it was going to be a sequel to Star Trek Year 5 in which they did the, you know, sort of like from where you left off in Year 5 up to Motion, to picture. motion picture. Yeah, yeah because yeah, it yeah. was a successful 13 issue comic that people liked a lot and people like Kirk Spock and McCoy so just do more of that but like yeah, yeah this is or I would have assumed another mirror universe thing because they've done so many of those and people yes. like those you know and so but so yeah you wouldn't have expected something that's a little bit that's both really mainstream because it's Cisco you know <laughs> you know the return of Cisco feels like an obvious idea but in this particular way yeah I'm excited to read it I mean Star Trek comics are something I don't get to write or talk about as much as I'd like but um yeah Star Trek comics are great you know, it's a great medium for Star Trek in a way that I think it's um, overlooked sometimes, maybe. All right. Well, we've talked about the facts. And now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, my guest and I give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Ryan, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. Well, I kind of already spoiled mine, which is that I think there will be a musical episode in yes. Strange New World Season 2. You think Strange New World's not Discovery Season 5? The only reason I say that is just because... because of the talent. Yeah, yeah. Discovery, the, yeah. the Discovery because cast of Anthony, has like all Anthony of the... Rapp yeah, and, and Wilson yeah, Cruz and... Yeah. Wiseman, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. The only reason I say it is because of Henry Alonzo Meyer, who was a producer on the magicians and the magicians started doing musical episodes kind of regularly each season and um i feel like you can get away with it on strange worlds just have it be an episodic thing versus discovery you've got to build it into now a 10 episode arc and like yeah so i mean you yeah you could get the discovery characters in there right because they know them so there would be like a you could do it like with a mind meld or something like that you know what i mean like you could get you could do it like spock knows tilly and stamets and culver 
you know, so he has memories of them. So you could, with that in mind, you know, you could always have Michael Burnham appear in Spock's mind in Strange New Worlds. You know, I I also have a, so that leads to my bigger theory. Yes. Because I think at some point, Pike will appear in either Picard or Discovery. Because we don't know what happened to Pike. People keep saying Pike dies. Pike doesn't die. He does not die. Yes. If anything, he potentially lives forever. Yes. We actually don't know how long Pike can live after the menagerie, right? Like, could he exist only as, you know, a being of mind, of an, an energy being? Could Pike materialize as like a sort of a space god? We were just talking about Cisco, like a Talosan sort of space god that sort of evolved for centuries. Could he just appear to Burnham in season five? Could he appear to Picard in yep. season three? I doubt they'll do it on Picard because they want to keep that really. But because because Discovery, because Strange New Worlds is a Discovery spinoff, it is a sequel to Discovery season two. They made that very clear in the season premiere and very clear with Spock's mind meld with Lahan. Yeah, I just wonder sometimes, like could Pike appear in Discovery? You know, and like, they're like, oh, well, too much time has passed. It's like, I don't know how it works on Talos 4. (laughs) Right, yeah. I mean, especially when you're dealing with, you know, telepaths of that level of power, right, as they clearly have. And some old comics, like, did this, right? Like, there was a a DC comic called A Door in the Cage where it's like movie-era Spock and he goes back to Talos 4 and Pike's just like, you know, he's like bearded and like walking around and he's like, Pike has kind of created this kind of telepathic sort of avatar for himself. And I'm like, you could totally do that and then have that be a crossover in disco. Yeah. And I think that would be really cool and would also just blow people's minds. That is so cool that I'm going to dump my theory and riff off of your theory, (laughs) which is that because it's something I've been thinking about a bit after Equality and Mercy and the way they kind of have set up the arc for Pike, which clearly is going to continue in some way, shape or form throughout the end of the show, which is that I think the very end of Strange New Worlds, they will show you what happened to Pike after the menagerie. Because as you say, right, like he didn't die. It was not the end of his story. It was just the end of that chapter of his story. And at the end of the menagerie, you see, you know, sort of Pike restored to at least a mental image of vitality, you know, sort of heading inside to, you know, live out the rest of his life. And and clearly stuff happened after that, right? Like, did he just hang out on Talos 4 forever? It may be. I mean, when when I first watched Equality of Mercy and you, you hit the opening credits and you see future Pike, my initial thought was, this is actually Pike coming back and being like, yes, your accident happened. And, you know, yes, you had to go through all of this, but something happened that meant that you got better. So like, yes, it's going to be a really challenging time, but like, don't worry about it. Right. right like right, right. that was, that was what I thought was, you know, in just that as the credits were rolling, that's where I thought that episode was going. That's such a cool theory though, because there's nothing, there's nothing to say that in like the stargazer era. Yeah. Right. Of, of like that big period of time where right. everybody's wearing monster maroon for like five decades. And they don't change the uniforms once, <laughs> um, you know, where Picard and Beverly are in Jack Crusher are happening. There's nothing to say that there's some, yeah, some really great medical advance. And they go back to Talos four and they fix Pike and Vena or not. I don't want to say fix them. They restore them to the, whatever the vitality is that they want. Yes. Right. Right. Whatever it is that they, 
they yes. want. And then Pike could have continued to, you know, live or whatever. It, like, you know, like Bones is wandering around the Enterprise exactly. D and, you know, the 2364 or whatever. I love that. And also, it would also validate recasting Vina in Discovery. I mean, I remember when I, I interviewed Melissa George, who played Vina in Discovery Season 2, and I thought she was fantastic. And they made the making that connection between Pike and Vina. Like, it's not like, it's not that Vina just talks to Spock and Burnham. Pike talks to Vina, you know, in that episode. And that is our Pike. That is the Pike we live with now. Yes. And I, and I was thinking about that in season one of Strange New Worlds when he's kind of like, um, he's got Captain Battalion. <laughs> Pike's, <laughs> Pike's dating a lot. <laughs> he's sure. out there yeah. in season one. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's out there. But I was kind of thinking, yeah, is there like, if Pike is James Bond, is Vina his Diana Rigg? Is, yeah, is, is right. Is Vina his Tracy, right? Yep. So I, I keep wondering if if that Vina in some ways is the greatest love of his life. Yeah. And so I, it would be really interesting to bring back Melissa George. And I love that idea that they could have done it. They could do it in a variety of ways. It doesn't have to be as out there as my idea. It could actually just simply be technology changes. Yeah. I, I mean, because there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing about what we know or don't know about that era that means that Pike cannot possibly be in it in some way, shape, or form, right? That like his story has to end on Talos 4. It could be the case that, as you say, medical advancements, something happens, omnipotent being intervenes and sort of, you know, <laughs> gives Pike whatever kind of thing it is he wants back. <laughs> And he, and then he just I, he could even go back to Starfleet, right? Like we don't know enough about that <laughs> I mean, period of time to say I mean, there's not an admiral Pike running around. Picard is a synth, you know. Picard right, is exactly. an android. Yeah, you know, yeah, they right. were, you know, in in uh, Return to Tomorrow, they were like building android bodies for you Precisely. know these beings yeah, of pure yeah, energy. Yeah. You know, like yeah, there's there's definitely that technology exists in the original series. Yeah, you know, there's the ancient all those ancient androids running around out there, Ruck or whatever, you know. Know, like that all that all exists that's a great idea i love that anson mount has always said that the idea was that he's been saying this since 2019 that pike's journey is going to be changed from a tragedy into a victory and obviously we see that now and that he's sacrificing himself i mean I, people might feel a little cheated if he just got better but i don't know i still love it <laughs> yeah I, but, but i i think the and and who knows if they'll ultimately do that or not right they're hanging a lot on this idea of sort of finality and that being it but i just sort of think that like it could be really interesting for them to when they hit the end of Strange New Worlds, and hopefully that's not for a decade. A long time, yeah. But like when they do get there, if they want to to do something a little interesting and subversive, and and kind of subvert the narrative a little bit, and sort of I don't know, kind of like give that story a happy ending if they decide they want to, right? Like I, I just I think there are options there on the table that allow for them to do unexpected things with it. Well, you know, they I would love to see them do something like that with Discovery, just because like they I'm still sort of waiting to figure out how how when and if they'll. Rip reconcile Calypso mm -hmm. with Discovery, yep. you know, but I, it would be interesting to have like a future flash in Discovery that's like an Easter egg, like Burnham's in one of her like going through records or something, right? Like like they did with uh, Unification 3, you know, where yep. she saw Spock, but may maybe make it even smaller. And it's like, you know, Admiral Pike's actions in, you know, in, in 2290. Wait, yeah. what? Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like something small, you know, a throwaway line from Colbert or something like that, you know, and then you could you could do it that way. That's a cool idea. I love that. Maybe Georgiou will uh, emerge from the Guardian of Forever and, and find Pike. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek or email them to me at Weekly Trek at the TricolorTransmissions.com and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. 
back. Thank you so much to my guest, Ryan Britt, for joining me today. Ryan, how could people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, uh, Ryan C. Britt. Um, that's probably the easiest way. My author webpage is always <laughs> a little bit behind. Um, and I obviously, I write for Inverse uh, Weekly about Trek and Den of Geek as well. And yeah, I recently got to uh, profile Anson Mount for Esquire. Uh, so check that out. And then, yeah, check out my book, Phasers on Stun. Available where books are sold. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. Prosper.